Well, hello there. Uh, welcome to this Real Life Church podcast. My name is Josh DeGroat, and I would like to thank you for joining me. Uh, in this podcast, I am making my way through the New City Catechism, which is a series of 52 questions and answers with Scripture, uh, going through really the core fundamental foundational truths of the Christian faith. And, uh, you know, I've had a growing concern over the last few years that that really we need to make sure that there's a solid foundation upon which we are building our lives. And that foundation must be truth, truth that is found in God's word. And so um, making our way through this catechism, it doesn't take the place of scripture, but rather catechism, this catechism, other catechisms or confessions of faith, these are all resources that help to encapsulate what scripture teaches about different subjects. And so um, I found this to be a helpful catechism, 52 questions and answers, as I mentioned before, getting through it in about a year. Um, and it really covers, uh, I think, the, the, uh, the truths that are of utmost importance for a solid foundation. So we are at question 22 now. And just real quick recap, last week, we asked the question, what kind of redeemer do we need uh, to reconcile us to God? And, and the answer was, we need one who is truly human and truly God. And so question 22 this week and question 23 next week, we're going to kind of break that apart and talk about we need one who's truly human. This week, we're going to talk about that. And one who's truly God, we'll talk about that next week. So question 22 asks this. Why must the Redeemer be truly human? The answer is that in human nature, he might on our behalf perfectly obey the law and suffer the punishment for human sin, and also that he might sympathize with our weaknesses. So right off the bat, in that answer, you, you hear the language of human nature, okay? Remember last week we talked about Christ. Jesus Christ is the God-man. He is one man with two natures. So he's, he's not half God and half man. He is one man with a full divine nature. He's been God from all eternity. And he is also the same man with a human nature, a full human nature, the incarnation, the truth that God became man, really is at the center of the Christian faith. The truth that God took on flesh, that God became man, the, the truth that God entered into his creation in time when Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became man, is so central to our faith. When, when Mary gave birth to Christ, the baby born in the manger was not just God appearing to be a human being, but it was actually God in the flesh. The word that was from the beginning with God, the word that was from the beginning God himself took on flesh, became flesh. And so we say that Jesus Christ is the God-man, truly human and truly God. So the question before us is, why must our Redeemer be truly human? Of course, or I should say again, we're going to look at why he must be truly God next week. But why must Christ be truly human? Why must our Redeemer be a human being, be truly a human being or a true human being? Well, there's three parts to the answer that we're given. 
The first part says that in human nature, he might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law. Now, in this answer, the first part of this answer, there's the language of substitution, the language of a substitute. Christ, as a man, on our behalf, obeyed the entire law of God. He, he obeyed the, the whole of God's law. The law was given to men, to humanity, to human beings to obey. God is the one who's the lawgiver, and he requires obedience from human beings. Now, of course, we have all fallen short. We've all failed miserably at keeping God's law. And so Christ, in his human nature, on our behalf, kept the entire law. He did not fail at one point. The book of Hebrews makes it clear that Jesus Christ was made like us in every way. The eternal Son of God was made like us in every way except one massively important way, and it's that he never, ever sinned. He was perfect. Jesus did what we could never do, namely perfectly keep and obey God's law, and he did it on our behalf. There's this great account of, of a theologian from the 20th century, one of the most important Christian theologians of the 20th century named J. Gresham Machen. He's, he's on his deathbed, and he writes one more telegram to a friend of his. His friend's name was John Murray. Both these men were giants for the kingdom of God in the 20th century. And J. Gresham Machen wrote this telegram to John Murray, and it said this, So thankful for the active obedience of Christ. There's no hope without it. And as far as we know, that's the last correspondence J. Gresham Machen had with anyone before he died. Now, we often think of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, and amen, he did that. But what we miss is often, not always, but often we miss the massively, the, the glorious truth that Jesus obeyed the, the law of God perfectly for us as well. Well, the second part of the answer says that Jesus also, on our behalf, suffered the punishment for human sin. Because we are sinners, because we're lawbreakers, we deserve to die. We deserve not only death, but eternal wrath at the hands of God. The scriptures say that the soul that sins shall die. And in one sense, our biggest problem, our biggest problem as, as image bearers of God who have bro who've broken his law, our biggest problem is, is the goodness of God. Because if God is good and we are not, that's a big problem, right? A, a good judge meets out justice in a righteous way. If a judge was letting rapists and murder, murderers and vandals off the hook, he let them off scot-free, we would say that judge is a wicked judge, not a good judge. Um, well, God is good. God is a good judge, and there must be justice for law-breaking. There must be punishment for sin. Well, praise the Lord. The eternal Son of God became man and obeyed the law of God perfectly on our behalf and also died in our place for our sins, taking the punishment that we deserve. He took the righteous wrath and punishment and judgment of God 
for the sins of all who would ever trust in him. So the, the final the final part to the answer of question 22, which is why must the Redeemer be truly human, is this. It's that he also might sympathize with our weakness. So we need a Redeemer who can sympathize with our weakness. Christ became like us in every way, except without sin, in order that he might be a sympathetic and merciful Redeemer. I think it was John Stott who said something like, I could never believe in a God who was distant and aloof from human suffering and pain and weakness. But then he went on to say, through the incarnation of Christ, we know that God, the God of the Bible that is, is not distant and aloof from us. And that's the glory of the incarnation is that um, in, in his human nature, Christ on our behalf, perfectly obeyed the whole law, suffered in our place for our sin, and is a sympathetic redeemer who understands and knows our weaknesses, our temptations, our trials, and our difficulties. We have a great redeemer in Christ. The scripture that goes with question and answer 22 is Hebrews 2.17. And I've kind of alluded to this uh, verse a couple of times here in this podcast, it says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. What a Redeemer, what a Savior we have in Christ. <laughs>